It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is John Livesey, the pitch whisperer. Now, John's a sales expert who helps companies get funding for their companies from investors. And he's the author of a book called The Seven Most Powerful Selling Secrets. And as I said, he works with startups to help them become irresistible to investors. Now, listeners to the show know that the topic of effective sales communications and creating compelling sales presentations are near and dear to my heart. And we've had some world-class guests on the show that have shared their strategies for creating and presenting compellingly effective sales presentations to buyers. But today we're going to talk about a different type of presentation, still so sales situation, but namely selling your idea, yourself, your vision, and your dream to investors. And my guest today, John Livesey, is going to help us sort out how to make that happen. So John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be here. So take a minute and introduce yourself. Give us a little background. Well, I have a sales background from working at Condé Nast for many years. I actually won Salesperson of the Year, not just for the magazine I worked for, but for the entire company, which was quite an honor. Yeah. And <laughs> learned how to craft a pitch in a way that allowed people to feel like everybody was winning. And one of my jobs when I was at Condé Nast in the corporate division was to seek out ways to find startups that could help monetize the brands. And when I was doing that, I realized that a lot of startups didn't really know how to tell a story and pitch their product in a way that would make a company like Condé Nast or the advertisers want to test it and try it. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what made me want to take my selling skills and apply it to the startup world because I have such a passion for learning about what's new and helping them get the funding so their dreams can become a reality. So fundamentally then, how, let's start at the beginning. So how does an investor presentation differ from a sales presentation? And maybe how is it alike? Mm. Well, in both situations, you are selling yourself first. And that's what most people forget. Um, if you're giving a sales presentation for a product or a service, most people jump right in to how it works and what it does. And you have to first back up and sell yourself first, tell your story of why you're so passionate about working for this company or why you're so passionate about this particular startup. Then you sell the company and the brand and the culture, and then you sell the product. So if you skip the first two steps, you've made a huge error, no matter whether you're pitching for funding or pitching to get a customer. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, because I, I think that, that typically an investor presentation, I've been on the... the uh, I've helped raise money a fair number of times, is that uh -huh. investor presentations typically, I'll say, happen a little bit earlier in the sales cycle. So that thing you brought up about establishing sort of the know, like, and trust factor yes. is really, really critical, right? Because oftentimes now, you know, sort of formal sales presentations in a selling a product or service might happen a little bit further down in the funnel uh, where you maybe have had a chance to build some rapport. But with that investor presentation, Wow, except maybe for you know, phone call with a guy that's sponsoring you or something. This may be the first time they've seen you and met you, so this really becomes critical. Right, and what's really critical is to grab their attention. A lot of people need warm introduction to investors. One investor that I interviewed said, if you can't figure out a way to get to me, you probably can't figure out a way to get to your customers. 
So they really look for how you think and how you strategically approach them through your networking as a first test to see if you're the kind of person that has what it takes to be fundable. And even if they agree to give you 10 minutes to pitch to them, you have to grab their attention in the first 90 seconds for them to invest their time to even pay attention for the rest of the time. And that's what people really make the mistake of not doing is they waste that intro and they don't have a, a really strong opening or they think they can wing it. And man, if you try that, you're going to stumble uh, and you won't grab their attention and you'll bore them and you confuse them. And the confused mind always says no. And that's why only 1% of any pitches to investors get funded. Right. Well, two things here that I want to explore, which you've brought up so far. And one is stepping back from the investors for a second, but you said something that's so critical for sales reps to, to keep in mind is that you're open to a presentation. You know, rather than jumping right into talking about your your product and your service and so on, mm-hmm. or your company, is make it personal about you. I mean, the idea yes. you put forth is, you know, tell the customer why you're passionate about this product and service you're representing. If you do that as you're open, that's a great way to start building that rapport that will lead to the trust and the ability to ultimately win their business. So I, I thought that was a great a great tip there. Thanks. Well, the same thing is true if you're pitching an investor. You have to be passionate about your story of origin. You know, how did you come up with this idea? Is it a personal problem that you had that then you wanted to solve and then help other people solve that same problem? If you have a personal story around that, then it really answers the question, which is in the back of the investor's mind is, why you? Are you the right person to execute this idea? And then you can go right into why now is the perfect time for them to invest in this particular product. Because those two questions, why you and why now, are really important to answer when you're pitching for funding. Because if you think about it, Uber would never have been successful if everybody didn't have a smartphone, or the majority of people anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and if the economy hadn't tanked, people might not have been open to the idea of Airbnb as a source of income. So timing is very important when you're pitching to explain to the investor why you are the right person to execute the idea. And then secondly, why now is the perfect time for this to be successful. So when you deconstruct this first 90 seconds, because I, I agree with you, I think this is this is really a critical time. And I, I remember uh, a story I heard, uh, gosh, from back in the back in the 80s, there was a guy that was uh, in Silicon Valley, was developing a sort of one of the first almost sort of tablet like type devices. Mm-hmm. And what he would do is he would walk into the room with the investors and basically sort of quasi throw a prototype onto the table mm-hmm. because no one had ever seen a device of that size with mm-hmm. the capabilities they're talking about. And that was, that was his attention grabber. And, you know, he followed it up very quickly about why answering both your questions, why that device, why now? And what do you coach people in terms of how do how do you make an entrance? Right. I mean, because <laughs> yes. it's because oftentimes you see people standing at the front of the room fiddling with the remote and making sure yes. they're. And I, I'd found when in the fund funding meetings I'd gone to, the investor pitches I'd gone to, that you know if we walked out of the room without ever opening our our laptop, we thought victory was ours mm. because they really wanted to. They got it right. You know, we'd have a sample maybe all sitting on the table, and we'd they want to know what that was. We'd. We were with one company, we'd have these sort of scattered around and they'd pick up and they were, before the meeting even started, you know, guys at the table and women at the table were playing with the device mm-hmm. before we said a word. So what do you, how do you advise them in terms of how to make that, that opening impact? 
Well, the first thing I say is don't waste the opening with boring words of thank you for letting me speak to you. I'm excited to be here, blah, 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 that everybody else says. Right. That's, that's not the way to grab attention. And it's wasting time. Um, and nobody cares about you being excited. It's about the audience and the investors. One of the keys to being successful is having empathy. And empathy for the investor and then showing that you have empathy for the customer, that you understand your customer better than anybody else in their space, that you are solving their problems. People think if you can explain the problem better than anybody else, that means you probably have the solution. So in that first 90 seconds, I say it's really important to keep in mind that they're investing in the jockey, not the horse. So you're the jockey and your idea is the horse. And the investors are used to things changing many times before they become successful. So they really are interested in the idea, but the so many founders make the mistake when they pitch of, well, if I just show you how great this is, you'll give me money. And that's not having empathy for the investor. The investor is wanting to know, who are you? Do I like and trust you? Are you the kind of person that has what it takes to execute this? And what kind of return on investment am I going to get? None of that has anything to do with a product demo. And if you're going to take five minutes of a 10-minute pitch talk, showing me how something works, it's really not addressing what the investor cares about. So to narrow down that, that that's, I'll say, the cold open, <laughs> which everybody yeah. dreads, what's, what is you know, one or two most effective ways to, to start that? Either a short story about yourself or a question that makes people sit up and pay attention. Let me give you an example. One of my clients, Martin, said, you know, my confidence level isn't as great as it could be. And I said, all right, let's go through an exercise and have you stack your moments of certainty and literally write them down. And then we'll go over them. And the one that really resonated with him was he grew up in the Netherlands, but he's originally from South America. And when he turned 18, his parents took him back to South America and dropped him off naked in the Amazon jungle to survive for two weeks because in his culture, that's a rite of passage into manhood. And I said, guess what, Martin? We just found the opening to your pitch. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that makes you memorable. That gives me goosebumps. I said, what did you learn in the Amazon jungle? He goes, well, I learned how to focus and persevere and even pivot when things weren't working. I said, great. And we're going to take those lessons from the Amazon jungle to the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And when we had that crafted and rehearsed, he won a pitch contest and got the funding because they said, oh, my God, I want to invest in that guy that survived the Amazon jungle. Yeah, I mean, it, it not only was a compelling story, but it was incredibly memorable, right? Because especially yes. if you're at a, let's say you're at a pitch contest that you talk about, and there might have been some associate of a VC firm there, he mm -hmm. had to go back and say, report, well, what did you see at this meeting? Right. I mean, he could say, well, I remember somebody made a pitch about this or that, but the first thing I was going to remember is, yeah, I heard this great story about this guy that, that survived two weeks in the Amazon. He started this company that's doing XYZ. That's probably the first one out of the the person's uh -huh. mouth and they went back and reported at the meeting. That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, or some memorability is everything or some startling statistic that you can give out. You know, say, did you know that only 1% of pitches ever get funded? And you're like, what? And so we grab their attention so that they are intrigued enough to know, oh, well, maybe you're going to tell me something that's interesting and new and our brains crave something new, new shiny objects. So when you open with a story or a statistic that grabs my attention, then I'm more likely to pay more attention to you. Yeah, and I think the the key thing there that that certainly I'd found is is especially now <laughs> being armed with a cell phone, uh, smartphone is 
make sure the statistic, you know, there's some place you can point to online or somewhere where you get oh, that yes. statistic because mm-hmm. pulling, yeah, pull, pulling out. out of the air and pulling out of the hat is not a good way to start. No, but there's plenty of great statistics that you can pull from that uh, make people want to sit up and, and pay attention like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, make sure it's validated as opposed to just sort of generally accepted wisdom that uh, is passed mm-hmm. down anecdotally because, yeah, that's that's not a good way to, to start. You're not giving a good impression about uh, how, well, data- credibility, yeah, how, credibility how data-based you everything. are in your analysis. Yes. You know, you must be credible to get funded. And if the investors find that you say or do anything during your pitch that's not the truth, you're automatically rejected. And that's what the whole due diligence process is for after they decide they are interested in pursuing things further. So you, if you have a problem or some weakness, don't hide it. Be very upfront about it because it will come out and they aren't likely to fund anybody who keeps a secret or doesn't tell the truth. Yeah. Or let's say it's just misinformed. And that's, right. uh, that is that is as bad, right? I mean, it's it's yes. showing that you haven't done your homework before you even reached, reached talking to them. And um, speaking of doing your homework, you have to really know your competition, too. The worst mistake people make is saying, oh, we don't have any competition. The investors are like, oh, God. And they roll their eyes and say, well, uh, clearly, that means there's no market or you haven't done your homework. Yeah, that's that's a death knell for investor presentation. Um, so once you get past that first 90 seconds, then, then yes. really, what's sort of a key then? Because you could be a room of people that you know, most of them are probably... 20 seconds away at any point in time from looking at their smartphone. And once they start looking at their right. smartphone, then you've lost them. How, right. do you, how do you, how do you keep their attention focused on you? Well, once you grab their attention with either a story or a statistic about some problem that exists, you then try to paint a picture and put them into the right brain as opposed to the left brain where all the numbers are because people buy emotionally and invest emotionally and then back it up with logic. So let's say you tell a story about a problem and you say, well, imagine if there was a way for this to not exist, right? And you go, oh, that would be interesting. And then they start imagining potential ways that that could happen too. And you say, well, you don't have to imagine it anymore because we've created it at XYZ Company. So that transition of, and then you're suddenly going, oh, wow. All right. Now I'm really into it. And then you go right into, all right, here's the problem. Here's the three things. Here's our solution. Here's how big this market is. Here's why we're the perfect team to execute this. And then you go on from there. Interesting. Well, good. Well, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. We're going to, it's been great, great feed, great uh, info on the first, uh, first part of the show. We're going to come back. I want to talk about, uh, you have talked about the five C's of a successful investor presentation. I want to delve into that a little bit as well as a couple other things. So stay with us. Back with my guest, John Livesey in just a second. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. My guest today, John Livesey, the pitch whisperer, works with startups to help them become irresistible to investors in terms of being able to present their case and their vision and their ideas and themselves very, very effectively. So you talk about the five C's. 
letter C, mm -hmm. capital C, or elements yes. of a successful investor presentation. I just wanted to run through those because uh, I thought they were pretty interesting. So you sort of referred to the first one. The first one was confidence. So yes. people are going to be nervous in, this, in yeah. this, this environment. So how do you help them get that confidence? Well, you know, Arthur Ashe said the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. And that's why people have called me the pitch whisperer, much like the horse whisperer, which calms horses down. I help people calm down and get the butterflies in their stomach to fly in formation. <laughs> so so what's the key to getting people to, to calm down? I mean, I know preparation. I mean, is there a specific... Preparation you know? is one. There's also... Uh, because the more prepared you are, the more confident you are. And the more you practice, the more confident you are. The moment you stack your moments of certainty and you remember all the other times that you've been successful in front of people or other moments when you've achieved things and you stack all of those moments up together and remember what those feelings were before you walk into the room. And then another fun one is called the superhero pose. Have you heard about this? Um, I don't know if I have or not. Go ahead and tell us. It's a, it's a research study in Harvard that shows that if you stand like Superman or Super or Wonder Woman for two minutes with your shoulders back and your hands on your hip like you've got a cape going in the right. air, your testosterone goes up and your cortisol level, the stress level goes down, even if you're a woman. And surgeons do it before surgery. So I have my clients do that before they go in and pitch. And it's another little secret. So if you add up all those secrets together, um, it you know, stack your moments of certainty, do the superhero pose and practice and do feel prepared, your confidence level goes way up. And that's one of the keys to being successful because investors want to invest in people who are confident. They don't want to invest in people who are nervous. I like that. <laughs> the Superman pose. I guess I'm going to start practicing that. That's good. So, yeah. <laughs> so part of the confidence, I think, comes too from somewhat with the content of the presentation. So before we move on to the next C is, is, um, uh -huh which I guess is actually be a 60 when I talk about throw the content in, but do you <laughs> recommend people use PowerPoint, not use PowerPoint? You know, how do they, how do you coach them to prepare to present their material? Well, one of the things I tell them is, you know, try to have 10 slides, one minute a slide. And that the slides are just your visual cues. You don't want to have a bunch of words on your slides for people to be reading. You don't want to read to people. That's the kiss of death. Right. It should just be an image and like two or three bullet points and then you bring that to life with a story. All right. So we're going to focus on a story on every slide. I, I agree 100%. That's the way I like to do my my mm -hmm. presentation as well. I'm, I'm single line of text if at max uh, on when you give a presentation. So in terms of preparation, do you have recommend people videotape it, to look, watch it back besides having you in the room giving them feedback? I mean, how do you recommend that they go through that process yes that's a that's a great way to do it because when you can actually see yourself on video then you start noticing all of the ums and the confusions and that you're maybe shuffling back and forth first i work with people on their content once we have that down then we work on the delivery it's don't make the mistake of trying to fix both at the same time fix one and then fix the other okay okay so if people don't have somebody like you around to to help them how do they know whether they've really got something going, you know, got a problem going on with the content or a problem with their delivery? Well, you can practice in front of your friends or your family and they'll be, <laughs> they'll be the great ones to give you feedback of, Oh, you were too nervous there or um, that didn't make sense or you lost me there or that's, you know, you seemed confused here. You, you know, that wasn't clear. Um, getting feedback from people is important no matter who it is. You don't have to be a professional 
uh, pitch coach to be able to uh, give people an understanding of whether you can follow what they're saying or not. Yeah, I, I, right. I was sort of a leading question because I was hoping you'd say that. Is, is yes, yeah, use your family, right? Use somebody that mm-hmm. has no idea or relatively little idea of what you're actually doing, right? I mean, the, right. the more people sort of understand what you're doing, that they're more likely to sort of cut you a little slack. I mean, get people that are really don't know. I mean, find a next door neighbor, even have them come spend 10 minutes or 20 minutes or however it is to go through the basic pitch and have them give you feedback and you know, make sure it's an objective source and not somebody that's affiliated with your company. <laughs> right. Because they know all the acronyms. And, and that's another big tip is to not use acronyms in your presentation. You, you know, because again, you confused investors and they're maybe too embarrassed to say, I don't know what that means. They're just going to not say yes to you getting funded because you use an acronym. Right. Okay. So your second C is connection. I, I presume it has to do with building rapport that we talked about before. Well, actually it has to do with right brain connection storytelling Okay. as opposed to left brain connection. So in order to make a sale to an investor or to a customer, you have to have a right brain connection, a story that connects and makes you memorable. Plato said storytellers rule the world. And so there's a real important element to being a good storyteller. And a lot of people get nervous and they say, I'm not a storyteller. And I say, you know what? It's in our DNA. When we were cavemen, we used to sit around the glow of the PowerPoint. Now we sit around the glow of PowerPoint presentations. Tell a story. When you're selling yourself, just be yourself. And there's so many different places you can get stories from. So what's the structure of a story, though? I mean, I I Mm. talk about this in my book. I've I've put together a a four, answer four questions, develop a 30-second story. Yes. Mm. Well, my structure that I love uh, about storytelling is exposition, problem, and then solution. So, for example, the story I gave you earlier about Martin, the exposition was he grew up in the Netherlands, was taken to the Amazon jungle at 18, and when he was practicing the story, sometimes he would leave out that in his culture, being dropped off naked for two weeks is part of the rite of passage into manhood. And I said, Martin, if you don't say that, it sounds like child abuse. (laughs) Right. So you need enough exposition to give people a picture, but not too much that you bore them and not enough and not too little that it doesn't make sense. And then you describe the problem, right? <laughs> okay, I'm in the Amazon jungle naked. Now what? What do I what, what do I what do I learn? Why did I cope? And then of course the solution it was in his case, he took those lessons and to the you know ability to become the concrete jungle and won a pitch contest. So that even that little story had exposition, problem, solution. Yeah, and I think for for people who have listened to the past episodes, we've talked about storytelling and and presentations as. And you've touched on here in reference to Plato is you know, since the time of Plato, using that sort of three-part story structure you laid out is is the power of story. And you know, Joseph Campbell, if you ever read The Power of Myth, is it it yeah, it's sort of genetically embedded in us. We get immediately drawn into the picture. Mm-hmm. So we tell that story. That's why movies are so compelling, books, TV yeah. shows, is we are those people, we become that people. So if you get that, you use that story and you draw the investors in. Yeah, they're they're looking at the problem and looking at it through through your eyes suddenly. Well, Andy, I have um, four genres of stories that I think might be interesting to talk about if you're open to that. Sure, let's let's go. Okay, so the first genre when you're talking about movies, that's what really made me think of this, is um, what I call the Cinderella story, right? Which is that rags to riches example and. 
Johnny Walker Scotch uses that for their storytelling for the brand. You know, the poor Scottish farmer who became Johnny Walker. So there's an example of one genre of rags to riches, a movie, Cinderella, and a mm-hmm. brand that uses it. The second one is a quest genre, Lord of the Rings. Perfect example of going on a quest. Lexus's tagline is the pursuit of perfection, going on that quest in your car. The third genre is a rebirth story, which is one of my favorite movies using this is It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. Right. And Prudential uses this genre and says, you know, your retirement is not the end. It's a rebirth. It's your third act. And then the fourth one is go on an adventure and come home and tell about it. Well, that's the classic Wizard of Oz, of course. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's what Expedia does. They tell people, you know what? Go take a trip, book it with Expedia, and then come back and tell all your friends. Okay. So that's when you do, when you deal with, uh, with the clients, and that's, that's great. You develop one of these yeah. four star types of stories. Yeah, that's exactly. perfect. Yeah, it's a great way to frame it for them. And everybody can come up with something that's similar to that. Mm-hmm. All right, perfect. So third C is commitment. Yes, this is what it's so important, especially when you're fundraising, um, to know exactly how much money you're asking for. One of my clients said, I don't know if I need $2 million or $4 million. And I said, well, that's a problem. You're going to confuse investors. And the confused mind always says no. Mm-hmm. So we need to know exactly how much money you need. Typically, they recommend you take 20% more than you think you're going to need because you want it to last you 18 months so that you can execute and run your business for 12. And then the last six months of that 18 months is when you start working on getting your next round of money. And so it requires asking at the end of your pitch, I'd like to invite you to join our team and help change the world, or this is we're going to make a lot of money together. You can't close a pitch, whether it's to an investor or to a customer, and not ask for a commitment and not ask for the next meeting, not ask for some next steps. And that's a big problem that a lot of people forget to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually had read a little something different into the commitment. And and I let me bring it up here a second. Is, sure. Because is, this is really important if you're salesperson presenting or if you're invest uh entrepreneur presenting to investors is to me is it's being committed to what you're pitching as well oh, because yes. can you remain confident in your vision when the arrows are flying in your direction because you are going to get arrows right one thing for certain you present to a bunch of vcs some very smart people lots of experience they're gonna start throwing shooting arrows in your direction so yes. can you stand well, can you stand your ground? That's and be committed to it. And that's that's how I was taking away with the commitment. I know you had a different pitch, but I wanted to or No, different. well I love what you brought that up, Andy, because the investors I've talked to say we're gonna specifically ask questions to see how committed they are to this and how passionate they are. But we're also gonna ask them questions to see if they get defensive and how they act under stress. So we're gonna try and throw them off. So you have to really be firm in your commitment to, I know what I'm doing, this is the right solution. And so you're absolutely right. That's another great way to look at having a commitment to what you're doing. Okay, so fourth one, checklist. So what do you mean by checklist? Well, imagine if you were in school and you got uh, all the questions you were gonna get asked before you took a test, that would be called cheating. But in life, having a checklist of questions and common objections before you go into pitch is called preparation in my book. And I work with my clients to make sure that they have a checklist of questions that they're most likely going to get asked during the pitch and after the pitch, and even when they go into due diligence, which is the process of, you know, where they say, okay, we're interested in funding you, but we have a lot more questions. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to have answers to all those questions. Otherwise, you're a deer in the headlight. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, that plays back to number three of terms of your five C's, which is commitment, which is, yeah, you got to know ahead of time exactly how much you're raising and why, because if you're uncertain about that, then uh, that's a bad problem with you're going to have with the investors because they're going to think, hey, right. they're not very sophisticated. They're kind of naive. They think they can do this. Yeah, we're going to pass. Well, you know, even my counsel, some of my clients um, pitching for just clients, I said, well, what are the three most common objections? Oh, well, price is probably one of them. What do you say when someone says your price is too high? Well, we really don't have an answer prepared. Well, that's not a good idea, right? Because then you're a deer in headlights. Let's come up with the three most common objections, come up with something that shows how to handle those objections, and then that's a good checklist to have. And it, and it just all ties together because then that boosts your confidence and you don't fear objections, you don't fear questions because you have a checklist in your head that gives you a lot of answers ready to go. Right. Okay, so fifth C, collaboration. Collaboration. This is really everything. Investors tell me, we are looking for people who are willing to not just take our money, but allow us to collaborate with them and help build the company. They want to know, uh, is this founder coachable? Are they open to collaborative ideas? If you talk to someone when you're pitching to get a client and you say, let's have a collaborative conversation, for example, if you're an architect and you're pitching to get a law firm to hire you to design their offices. The lawyers want to know that, yes, you have ideas, but if we have some input, will you take that input? Or do we just have to listen to everything you want to do? You see, that it's a big difference. And so the more collaboration you have, the more likely you are to get the sale or the investor. Yeah, I, I, really an important point. So when you're looking to take investment money from investors is you brought the idea of coachability you know, part of the reason you're you're asking these people for money is not just that they're a source of money, but they're a source of experience and expertise. Mm -hmm. And yeah, as you said, part of what they're looking for is that someone who is open to coaching, who is open to being improved. And if you're not that person, if you're a CEO and a founder and you're not that person, then you know, you may find yourself on the outside if they think you have a great idea, but they don't think you are the one that can execute it, you know, right. you're gonna be on the outside looking in. And that certainly has happened many times. So yeah, I think even in the context of the discussion you may be having with the prospective investors is if they've given you a thought, take a second, think about it, and maybe feed back to them a different perspective on what you've been pitching that integrates in their thought process. That suddenly becomes a very powerful tool for you. Well, that brings up a great point, Andy, which is if someone asks you a question during your pitch or after, take a moment and rephrase it, active listening and say, what I heard you say was, or so your question is, because that gives you another second to think about your answer, but more importantly, it makes sure that you heard the question right. A lot of people will not hear the question right and give an answer that isn't what they were asking for, and the investor or the customer thinks, oh, this guy's trying to avoid my question, and right. they they get really aggravated. Right. And you can avoid all of that by just clarifying that this is what I heard you ask, is that right? And then answer it. Yeah. So in a perfect example, so what you're, I heard you say was that if we could, uh, you know, add this feature, let's say mm -hmm. into our, into our product suite in order to address the needs of these customers that you've seen, that you think it'd make it a more sellable product. Is that what I heard you say? And, but yep. suddenly you've laid out a solution. And then if you say, yeah, you know, that, that is really well worth considering. Mm -hmm. Talk about commitment, talk about making connections, starting to build rapport. I mean, assuming you're doing it authentically, which you should be at that point is, is then that's very powerful. Yes, very. 
and it, it separates you from everybody else. <laughs> well, yeah, and it says, as you said, it says a lot about you as an individual that you are coachable and it's someone that they, as you said, at the, at the outset is they're really, they're investing at you in you first and in the idea second. Well, it goes back to what I call the three unspoken questions that investors and even customers have when they're listening to you pitch. The first one is, do I like and trust you? The second one is, is what you're going to offer me worth the price? And then the third one that's so important is, will this work for me? Mm-hmm. And those are not questions that people are going to ask you. So those are the, you know, the, that's where it comes into the pitch whisper. You're interpreting what's not being said. And you need to address those questions that aren't being asked in your presentation. So that, you know, do I like and trust you is all about being authentic and real and and creating value to justify a high price. And then, of course, case studies really help people put themselves in that picture that you're painting of, oh, if it worked for Cole, Mm -hmm. then it could probably work for me. Or you could say, you know, much like, you know, we worked with another law firm who was just like you in size and had similar challenges and we were able to do this, this, and this. So we know we can help you too. That's a great example of answering those unspoken questions. Well, great. Well, it's been great having you on the show talking about this. And before we go, we're going to go through a I got some rapid fire questions I ask all okay. my guests. So are you ready to take some answers? I'm ready. Hit me. Or take some questions. Give me some answers. You can do one word or you can elaborate if you wish. So the first one is when you're selling, what's your most powerful sales tool? Confidence. Name one app or tool you use for managing your sales today that you can't live without. One app or tool that I can't live without. I would say Infusionsoft. Okay. Great tool. Who's your sales role model? Tim Sanders. He ah. wrote a book that's coming out called Deal Dream, Storming. Deal Storming, yes, yes. Um, I just bought that, as a matter of fact. Or pre-ordered it, let's say. It's not, not mm-hmm. out quite yet. So what's the one book that every salesperson should read? How to Be a Power Connector by Judy Robinette. It's all about your network and how to connect with people um, so that they want to give you referrals and expand your network. Very interesting. Good. I'm going to check that book out. Here's the toughest question of all. What's on your playlist these days? I assume you mean my iTunes playlist? Yeah, your music playlist, your Spotify Uh, playlist. uh, You know, I um, find myself listening to more podcasts than music these days. Um, But I would say Adele. Adele, yeah. Great stuff. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? Well, it's what I do the night before, which is make sure that I'm very clear on the first five things I'm going to do uh, that morning so I don't even have to think about it. Excellent. All right, here, last question. So the one question you get asked most frequently by entrepreneurs looking to get funded. Is, can you introduce me to investors? And I said, yes, but if you aren't prepared with a great pitch, you still won't get funded. And that's why Judy Robinette and I have joined forces and developed Crack the Funding Code to help people get ready for a pitch and then make the warm intros. Got it. Excellent. Well, good. Well, John, I want to thank you for being my guest today. My guest has been John Livesey, the Pitch Whisperer. John, tell folks how they can find out more about you. Well, if you text 66866 and the word funding, 66866 and the word funding, I will email you my three mistakes to avoid when you're pitching investors. 
And if you go to my website, which is just my name, John Livesey, L-I-V is in Victor, E-S-A-Y.com, you can get all kinds of free content, including blogs about how to conquer the three faces of fear. Excellent. Oh, good. Well, thank you for joining me. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of my great conversations with top business experts like my guest today, John Livesey, who shared his expertise about how to find investors for your business. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. 